Good morning. Welcome here this morning. We ask that you stand and join us as we sing. Number 529, Come We That Love the Lord. seated. Well, good morning and welcome here. Welcome to all of you who are regulars. Welcome to new regulars. Welcome also to guests. And we have a special guest with us this morning, Mr. Jacob Birch from, uh, yeah, stand and let us see you. He's from the Canadian Bible Society. And he's going to talk to us for a few minutes uh, this morning in our service. And then he will present to us in our Sunday School Hour, uh, right here in this room after the service, and he's going to teach us some things about how to read the Bible. Uh, a great opportunity. Let's not miss it. 
I want to open this morning with a reading from the prophet Isaiah, hoping that this will connect with Pastor Dean's message this morning. And the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and of Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. Such is the God that we have who is coming to save us. And this is the joy that we look forward to both in this life, but even more so in the life to come. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I thank you that you have uh, given us words of hope, words of joy, um, a sure hope that we can look forward to knowing that uh, every injustice, every unrighteousness will be set straight and that when you come, all things will align and you will save your people. You will save them from their sins. You will also save them from the world. And so, Father, we look forward with great anticipation to that day. And now, fathers, we commit ourselves to worshiping you and to lifting high your name. We pray that you would inhabit our hearts and minds and make our praise acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing some more. We'll sing, Be Unto Your Name, and the words should be in your bulletin.
Thank you, ladies, for leading us in singing this morning. Well, let's uh, open up our bulletins and look at our announcements. There are a lot of them. Uh, try to go through without spending a whole lot of time here. Uh, Missionaries of the Week, Don and Shar Epp. And also we want to remember the Pemina Valley uh, Bible Camp and the work that they do. Uh, they don't stop in the winter, they are doing other things, so keep them in your prayers. And also for the Winkler and District uh, uh, Cheer Board, as they kind of discern the needs for this community. Who, who's going to need a Christmas hamper this year? And I'm sure there's a bit of agonizing that goes on there, so pray for them about that. And also for, for volunteers. A couple of things that are not in your bulletin. On December 10, we are planning a Christmas program. It'll be in the afternoon at about 3 o'clock. And uh, when that program is over, we're going to sit around the tables and we're going to eat a little bit together. And we're going to celebrate Jesus. So please plan to come. That's December 10 in the afternoon. And uh, for those of you who are willing to bake some cookies for that event, please call Mrs. Engbrecht. Uh, her number is in the... <laughs> her number is in the, uh, what's it called, directory. Yeah, you'll find it there. Also, uh, not in your bulletin, and not specifically a church event, uh, is that the male choir will be here for a Christmas program on Saturday, December 16. You'll see posters up uh, soon enough. Uh, there's nothing in print yet, but uh, we'll put up posters as a reminder. Let's also remember the uh, work of Operation Christmas Child. As we've done every year, we can contribute to that, pick up a box, fill it up, and drop it off. And there's a deadline here uh, by Wednesday, November 15. So you have a few days left. Let's be in prayer for our nominations committee and also maybe at work a little bit. A little bit of shoulder tapping would help. Uh, we need two people for the education committee and one person for the worship committee. So if you know of someone, uh, do some shoulder tapping, certainly do some praying, and maybe you can make mention to the nomination committee. Their names are there. Next Sunday, we're going to have potluck. So that means our service will begin at 10 next Sunday, and then we'll have a potluck to follow. I've uh, seen the menu. Oh, yeah, you are looking at the menu too, aren't you? Right there. <laughs> it looks like it will be very good. Coming up also is our membership meeting. Oh, uh, about the potluck. There are sign-up sheets here in the foyer. If you can uh, help with any of the work that is involved, uh, please sign up. Quarterly membership meeting is uh, scheduled for November 28, Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. And uh, this morning, as I said already, we have uh, Pastor Jacob Birch here. And we're going to invite him up shortly to, uh, well, just a little bit. We're going to invite him up shortly to uh, give us a, a, a few words about his work. And then also we have uh, family, uh, church family praises and concerns. So we've got some people in the hospital again. Uh, Helena Falk, uh, who is uh, in the hospital presently, uh, but she is waiting to be moved uh, or to, to move to Tabor home. So uh, she will be moving there and out of Bueller. Viola Suderman was in the hospital for the last few weeks. She is now back at home. She phoned me just after the bulletin was printed. 
So that's how that happens. So pray for her also. Hilda Hamm is in uh, Prairie View Lodge in Pilot Mount, and I was talking to Henry this morning. Uh, they have discovered some COVID, so they've shut the whole place down, and Henry can't go visit. And there are, you know, a whole bunch of other people there who can't get visits. So pray for that situation. We've also got Mary Duick and John Suderman at Swan Lake, Abe A. Friesen, Manitou uh, Care Home. And then an expression of sympathy here, Linda Wiebe, 95, of Carmen, passed away on October 30th, and her funeral was held November 6th at Carmen Mennonite Church. She was a sister to Ella Neufeld. So pray for Ella and her family. I think uh, that pretty much covered it. I'll call the ushers to come up at this time, and, uh, and then we'll pray together. Would you please stand to pray? And maybe what I'll ask this morning is, uh, we'll start with, a, with a, a minute or two of silent prayer. We've got a lot of things here to pray about. Take some of these things in prayer, and uh, after a minute or two, then I will close our prayer time together. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, you've heard our prayers. And there are even prayers that were said here that, uh, about things we haven't even mentioned. And so, Father, we know and we trust that you hear our prayers and we ask that you would answer them. We pray for those uh, who are out on the mission field, and there are many. And we thank you for the work that they do. We think of Don and Shar and the Pembina Valley Bible Camp and uh, and our local and district cheer board. Father, encourage them in their work, bless them in their efforts, and I pray that your name will be lifted high and, and, the, and people will be served and brought closer to Christ. And that some will give their lives to Christ who have not yet done so. Father, we look at the, at the life of our church. We're looking for people to serve in various avenues, and we pray that you would, by your spirit, that you would move us cause those to think that maybe they could have something to offer, to, to think those thoughts. And, uh, and we also pray for events that are coming up, our youth, youth and Sunday school Christmas program. Um, uh, we're looking forward to that, and we're looking forward to being engaged together in celebrating the birth of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we can have meetings and be together uh, at our quarterly membership, and I pray that you would go before us into that meeting that it could be a good meeting, one in which we uh, really sense a good fellowship among us and can make decisions that are good for the church together. Thank you, Father, also for the work that, uh, that Pastor Jacob Birch is doing with the Canadian Bible Society. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing more about it, and we pray that you would add your blessing to his work and also to him as he presents here this morning. And Father, we, all those that are suffering, uh, various things, uh, failure of the body, failure of the mind, and loss of loved ones. Uh, we all suffer those things, and to varying degrees at different times in our lives. Thank you, Father, for those who are sensitive to that and come and walk beside us. And I pray that you would help us all to learn how to do that just a little better. 
Thank you, Father, also that you forgive sin. We are a people who sin. We sin by choice, and we sin also because it is our nature. Father, forgive us. Wash us clean and set us right in your presence. And now, Father, as we give back to you, we pray that you will use these gifts for the building of your kingdom and for the glory of your name. Hallowed be your name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. That was a blessing. <laughs> yeah, we're proud of you. Thank you for doing that. What a joy to see parents teaching their children things that are good for us to be together. Again, uh, Brother Jacob Birch is here. He's presenting now for a few minutes. We'll again after, after the church service. And uh, Brother, welcome here. Would you uh, come and tell us what you have? Thank you, Pastor Victor Winkler, Berghaller, Mennonite Church. The first and foremost thing I want to say is thank you. Thank you for uh, 15 years of giving to the Canadian Bible Society. According to our records, some of you maybe have been here for a while and you have better records than we do, uh, but I'm here to say thank you for your faithful giving. Um, I also want to just read for us this morning a passage from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Can I get your, your help this morning with, uh, with this little report from the Canadian Bible Society? Are you willing to help me this morning? Each time I say God speaks, I'd love for you to respond with, through his word. Can we practice that together? So I'll say God speaks and you respond with, through his word. Let's try one more time. God speaks. Thanks to donor churches and donors like you, God is speaking to the Punjabi people of Canada. Uh, the Canadian Bible Society has been asked by the Punjabi churches of Canada if we will revise 
the, what's called the PCL, the Punjabi Common Language Bible. That's one of the distinctives of the, um, of the uh, Canadian Bible Society and you, the United Bible Societies, 157 of which we're a part of, is that we're not just involved in translating uh, first, uh, the first translation of a language, we also do revisions. And we don't just translate the New Testament like a lot of other translation agencies, we help translate the whole Bible. Um, and so we are, have been asked because the Punjabi language, the, the PCL, the Punjabi Common Language Bible, was originally translated by people who didn't speak Punjabi. And so when they didn't know a word in Punjabi, they inserted a word from their own language. Now, I know that almost all churches in Canada are diaspora churches. I can see that you're part of the German diaspora just behind me on the, on the wall. Um, and so you know what it would be like to read in your heart language God's word and all of a sudden to have an English word in there or to have a French word in there. It would be very disconcerting. And for political reasons, the Indian Bible Society uh, can't be involved in anything relating to the Punjabi language because of the political climate in India. But the Punjabi-speaking churches of Canada and around the world came to us and said, uh, you know, Canada has a lot of Punjabi churches, we have a lot of Punjabi Christians, you have a lot of technical ability, there's not the, the political dimensions of working with Indians and Punjabis here in Canada that there is in India. Would you please, as the Canadian Bible Society, be part of of doing a second translation, a second revision, what in many ways will be the first real Punjabi Babi Bible. Do you know that in Canada, the language most spoken in the Parliament of Canada is English. The second most common language in the Parliament of Canada is French. The third most common language spoken in the House of Commons in this country is Punjabi. That's how many Punjabi people are in this country. And so we said, well, God speaks. God speaks. So we, we will absolutely be part of taking the PCL and working with Punjabi's uh, churches from coast to coast to coast to be part of helping Punjabi people hear in their heart language about the God who loves them. God speaks. Well, and uh, thanks to partners like you, uh, we are able to be part of providing Bibles for what is paradoxically, in many ways, the fastest growing churches in the world. Do you know, in general, where the fastest growing churches in the world are? They're in countries where it's the hardest to be a Christian. Do you know that last year, in the two countries where it's hardest to be a Christian, the church grew in those two countries, on average, by 19%. Do you understand that when churches like yours support missions like ours, and when we work with our partner churches in these persecuted countries, do you know that on average, every Bible we send is read by four or more people? So one Bible reaches four or more people in a persecuted country. Do you know in Canada that there are three Bibles for every person? Sort of the exact opposite number. 
And so last year, thanks to donor churches like yourselves and individuals, the Canadian Bible Society was part of supporting projects that, that help reach 1.6 million people with the Word of God. Now, why would we spend all this time doing that? Well, because God speaks. And what do those people need when they're faced with the kind of culture that they're in? They need more than anything else to hear God's voice. And they can do that thanks to donor churches and donors like you. An interesting note with a CBS connection to our work with the persecuted church is that um, because of the rapid growth of the Farsi-speaking uh, people group here in Canada, those are people who are for the most part from Iran, though some are also from Afghanistan and elsewhere, that the United Bible Societies, kind of our, our, our mother agency to which we all belong and to which we relate, has uh, asked the Canadian Bible Society to be part of uh, organizing the first ever Iranian Bible Society in exile. And so Iranian believers here in Canada, working with the Canadian Bible Society, will be part of providing Bibles and God's word and support to a church under deep persecution, thanks to donor churches like you. God speaks through his word. Amen. Lastly, I want to just tell you a bit about our work with at-risk young people. At-risk young people. You are praying uh, this week for uh, one of your local camps here and the Canadian Bible Society uh, last year provided 10,800 for free youth Bibles to camps across the country from coast to coast to coast. Now I'm not sure if you've observed this but uh, unlike when I was growing up in the 80s in southern Ontario um, you know Youth groups were large, and it was, it was relatively easy to find young people at church. Well, unfortunately, in the last number of years and decades here in Canada, youth are found less and less in church. In fact, youth are even less likely to ever come to church. And so we, as the Canadian Bible Society, uh, in partnership with churches and donors like you, have to find ways to go to them to meet them on their turf. And thankfully, one of the places young people still go is camps, even Christian camps. And so we're able to meet them there, and for many of them, for the very first time ever, they'll receive their own copy of the Holy Bible, thanks to donors like you and donor churches like you. But we've also found that there's another group of people among another time in a young person's life when they're open to God's word. And that's when they are in crisis. One of the great benefits of working with the Canadian Bible Society is we don't send missionaries per se. We work with partner Bible societies around the world. This is actually a very popular way for missions now in Canada to work. Missions who, who used to send people overseas from Canada are now beginning to work in the way that we've always been working. Uh, and so what happened was in the 90s, during the genocide in Rwanda, the, the Rwandan Bible Society and the Rwandan churches, they realized that they needed a resource, something that helped the Bible speak to people who were suffering deep trauma. And so they came up with a program called Bible-Based Trauma Healing. 
Well, other Bible societies around the world started to hear of it and started to bring it into their countries and translate it into their languages. That same thing has happened here in Canada. And because of the deep trauma suffered through residential schools and the 60s school by our First Nations, just last week, our Bible-based trauma healing uh, team were in Inuvik meeting with the Anglican Archbishop of Inuvik and his archdeacon talking about getting Bible-based trauma healing translated into Innu so that the young people and all the people who speak Innu in that, in that community can begin to hear God speak even in the midst of their trauma. And one of the reasons they were attracted to this program was it because it didn't come from us. It didn't come from the Canadian Bible Society. It came from their brothers and sisters in Rwanda and it was able to come through us to them. And we're raising money to translate that program uh, into Innu so that Innu-speaking uh, First Nations people can begin to hear God speak through his word even in the midst of their trauma. Brothers and sisters, God speaks. And people hear God speak in Canada and around the world because of partnership with churches and people like you. God bless you. Thank you for this opportunity this morning, Pastor Dean, and uh, all the best to you in your ministry here and Winkler as it touches the world for Christ. Thank you. The reading of our scripture passage this morning is found in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 2 through 16. The Corinthians' repentance. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you, Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death.
For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. The joy of Titus. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. May God bless the reading of his holy word to your heart. Thank you, Esther Ann, for reading the scripture for us. We have so many excellent readers in our church, and we're always glad to listen to the word of God as it is being read to us. Paul and the missionary and the missionary team he traveled with faced many hardships, difficulties, and conflicts. When he presented the gospel to the Jewish people, there was conflict. When he presented it to the Gentiles, there was conflict. When he pastored a church or he planted the church, there was conflict. There's always conflict that happens. There's conflict everywhere. And those are the things that we have to learn to deal with. Not all people got along within the body of the church, especially in the church at Corinth that Paul was writing to. As long as Paul served the Lord, he faced conflict. He did not look for it, but it always managed to find him in some ways. And in some ways, we don't look for conflict, but there it is before us. And how do we deal with it? That is the nature of the fallen world that Paul lived in. It's the nature of the fallen world that you and I live in, and we are part of the fallenness. And because we have a sinful nature, we are often dragged along in those predicaments. When I was young, I attended a youth group, enjoyed studying the Bible and attending the activities and the events that were part of the youth group. And then, of course, we did certain things. One Friday evening, we went to Regina, which was just an hour away from where I lived, and, where, and our youth group had the privilege to listen to Bob Pierce, a Saskatchewan Rough Rider, share his testimony. Bob Pierce was used as a receiver, a defensive back, kick returner, and a punter during a five-season span with the Rough Riders that began in 1970. He also made a cameo appearance at quarterback in addition to throwing some passes on trick plays. 
That was about 45 years ago that I listened to this individual along with the rest of our youth group um, as he spoke to us. And he spoke about his love for Christ and how Christ changed his life. Two additional things that he spoke about, and I'll remember this, one was growing old, and you're growing old when you're still young. You see, he said that when you come in, you are fresh. When you're a young man and you can play your best, you have the most energy, you're the strongest, and as you get older, all of a sudden that begins to dwindle. He says in order to keep up with the new men that were coming in, the young men that were coming in, he had to work twice as hard twice as hard at building, er, er, building his muscles in the gym, twice as hard at running, twice as hard as doing everything if he was to keep up his pace. From that we understood we are getting old, even if we are young. But the second thing he said was about conflict. He said there's always conflict, conflict between players, conflict between coaches, conflict conflict in many dimensions. And I want you to think about there because sometimes we think that as we go through life that there is going to be less conflict, but that's not the truth. There will always be conflict and there is nothing more important than knowing Christ as your savior and walking with him as you go through difficult times. We must know the Lord, and he was passionate about as he shared the Lord with us. When we face hardship, we need to focus our attention on Christ. In your bulletin, there is a quote. Take it and turn with me to the back of your bulletin. There's a quote by D. Walls and M. M. Andrews, and it says this, Joy in suffering is not a trick of the mind. Rejoicing in pain has nothing to do with deriving pleasure from being mistreated in some way. Suffering has meaning as it puts us into a deeper fellowship with Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. Because when we read the scriptures, we think, well, we rejoice in our sufferings. We don't rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice what our sufferings are pressuring us to do. And what is it doing? It's pressing pressing us into a deeper relationship with God. Because sometimes when we have no problems, we have no difficulties, we run ahead of God. And when we run ahead of God, we don't pay attention to him until some of those difficulties come and then we get down on our knees, then we read the word and how important it is for us to be in the word. Often we think, if I can escape the conflict and difficulties in life, I will have joy and happiness. Don't we think so? If we didn't have this problem, if we didn't have this difficulties, then life would be good. Life would be sweet. But that's not what having joy in the Lord is about. In other words, we think that the absence of problems equals happiness. That's what we want to focus on that we think will bring us happiness. Just absence of problems, but it's not there. We all wish in some way we could escape the conflict. If happiness and joy are determined by circumstances, 
we will never be joyful. Let me repeat that. If our happiness and joy are determined by circumstances, we will never be joyful. All sailors know who sail the oceans that the calm days without waves are usually the, uh, the exception. I want you to think about the calm days without the waves is usually not the exception. But what is the exception? It's usually the waves and the wind and the problems that sailors face. And so it is in the Christian life. Our days are usually filled with many times turmoil. And if not just the turmoil of waves, a whole storm that comes upon us all at once, out of nowhere, and then you think to yourself, what is happening? Therefore, you can let the wind and the waves drive you to the place you don't want to go, or you can utilize the conflict in your life in order to grow deeper to Jesus Christ. In either case, the wind and the waves will stay, but the outcome will differ depending on how we deal with the conflict. I've entitled this message this, this morning, Joy in the Midst of Conflict. Joy in the Midst of of conflict. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we pause before you, we understand that there are problems and hardships within the Christian life. Not only that, Lord, you have blessed us in such a way that we live in one of the best countries in the whole world. Actually, we live at the pinnacle of uh, success in that we have homes, we have food, we have cars, we have everything at our disposal, and yet we find that does not bring joy. What brings joy is a relationship and a dependence upon you as we wait upon you and we see you working in the midst of this. And we know the future and that you have everything under control. Help us to understand more than anything, Lord, that we need to keep our focus on you. And when we do, we know that you will work out all things for your glory and all things for our good. Amen. Well, I've entitled this message, as I said, Joy in the Midst of Conflict. Joy in the Midst of Conflict. I believe in this portion of Scripture, the Apostle Paul lays out four essential principles that will guide us and help us to understand what it means to have joy in the midst of conflict. And the first is this joy in the midst of conflict comes when we look out for the interests of others. Verses 2 and 4. Joy in the midst of conflict comes when we look out for the interests of others. Verses 2 through 4. Let me read those verses for you one more time. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted, we have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. Remember that you were all obedient, rec receiving him with fear and trembling. 
I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. The first question we must ask ourselves, what does the me, what does the Bible mean when it talks about joy? What is joy? Let me read from the Nelson Illustrated Bible Dictionary as it defines joy for us. Joy is a positive attitude, pleasant emotion, a delight. Many kinds of joy are reported in the Bible. Did you know that? Many kinds of joy are reported in the Bible. Even the wicked are said to experience joy in triumph over the righteous. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, and Revelation 11, verse 10. Many levels of joy are also described, including gladness, contentment, and cheerfulness. But the joy that people of God should have is holy and pure. Let me repeat that. But the joy that people of that the people of God should have is holy and pure. This joy rises above circumstances and focuses on the very character of God. This kind of joy looks beyond the present to our future salvation. Romans chapter 5 verse 2, Romans chapter 8 verse 18 and 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and verses 6. And to our sovereign God, who works out all things for our good, which is Christ-likeness. Our good is Christ-likeness when we're shaped and we're molded into who Jesus Christ is, into his character. We become like Christ. This kind of joy is distinct from mere happiness. Joy like this is possible even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of great sorrow. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 speaks about this, and 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 10, and chapter 7, verse 4. Close quote. That's why Paul was so full of joy in the midst of his trials and his conflicts. Paul was no stranger to difficulties and to conflict. He had his share of troubles, especially with this church at Corinth. He had shared his troubles, especially in the first letter, Paul was very stern. He called them babes, Carnal in Christ, he rebuked them for immorality that was taking place. The good news is that they changed since then. That was the reading, that's the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, the first Corinthian letter. Now he's writing a second letter that we are going through and studying. The good news is that their lives has changed since then. But now they questioned his authority and apostleship. So isn't that interesting? The first, they had all these different problems. Now they had another set of problems. They were challenging his authority and apostleship. In other words, some false teachers had crept in, and they were turning the flock. Paul responds to them by saying that he has wronged no one, corrupted no one, and exploited no one. He then encourages the Corinthians by telling them 
they are in their hearts and they would be glad to even die with them. Who is they? That's Paul's traveling mission, missionary um, uh, uh, entourage that he traveled with. He traveled with others. Often we read about Paul and it seems like he's there by himself. No, no man can do this by himself. He needed others who accompanied along his travels and now he is writing to them. Paul even goes further by telling the Corinthians church he had great confidence in them and was very proud at their accomplishments so far. Their lives were changed and they were progressing. They were becoming more mature. They were becoming more like Christ. Here Paul lavishes encouragement on them because he wants more than anything else for the Corinthians to be more like Christ. Paul knows that every time someone is corrected and then when they respond, they need to be encouraged. And so he encourages them every step along the way. Here comes the part about joy. Since Paul had poured his lives into the people by looking out for their interests, he's now been greatly encouraged by the Corinthians themselves. In other words, he is encouraging them, but when he hears about what's taken place, he himself is encouraged along with his missionary friends who are traveling by his side. Even amid his troubles, this church was bringing him joy. Joy because of what was taking place. That is key to joy. Do not turn inward and sulk when you face hardships, difficulties, and conflict. Don't turn inward. It's easy to turn inward. It's easy to say, poor me, I'm the only one suffering. We hang our mouths and we think we're the only ones experiencing difficulties and conflict in our lives when in fact others are going through the same things that you have gone. And when we read the scriptures, we find that the people in the scriptures are going through those same things that you and I are going through. Go and minister to others like Paul did because that's what he did. Paul had great joy because he focused on the word of God. He knew that the Lord was working in his and the Corinthians' lives. He also knew that God would strengthen him as he took every step he was supposed to that God was leading him to do. He would find God's strength, God's joy, as he kept on moving ahead. Now we come to the second principle of joy in the midst of conflict. Number two, joy in the midst of conflict comes when God brings comfort through others. Joy in the midst of conflict comes when God brings comfort through others. Verses five through seven. For when we came to Macedonian, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on, outs, on the outside, fears within, but God who comforts the down, downcast comfort us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about the longing 
your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Paul says that when he came to Macedonia, what happened? He was harassed at every turn with conflict on the outside and fear on the inside. Wow, this is what he faced in proclaiming the gospel. This is what he faced when he came back to the churches that he ministered. Paul is not talking about life being difficult, but rather about the fact that he knew that the things that were going on at the Corinthian church at that time was not very good and was not healthy for the church. He wrote the first letter because he was not only rebuking this church, but he was trying to encourage them, these believers, to turn around. From the second letter, we learn false teachers had come into their midst and were teaching false doctrines, but they were also discrediting Paul's ministry as an apostle. They were discrediting, they were tearing him down. However, there was good news on the horizon. The good news was that when he and his team were feeling downcast, God comforted them. Where does comfort come from? Remember, comfort always comes from God. How did this happen? The answer is that God sent Titus. He came and brought good news to Paul about the church at Corinth. Titus told Paul that the people at Corinth comforted him and longed to see Paul again. And God sent good news when Paul thought all was lost with this church. Have you ever come to a point in your life where you thought all was lost in, some, in regards to something that you liked or in regards to a loved one? Have you ever come to that point and you just have become so discouraged, you see no hope and you just see a dead end or a deep abyss with no answer? And Paul felt that way. And God knew that he needed encouragement. Here is the essential learn, uh, lesson that we learn from this portion of scriptures. Many times when God wants to comfort the downheart, downhearted, he sends and uses people. He sends and uses people. In other words, when we're walking with the Lord and when we know somebody is down, we need to go and minister to them because that's what God has called us to do. But there's a second part to this, is that when we are discouraged and when we are down, we must be willing to receive encouragement from other believers and from others who will come and help us. Because sometimes we think it's a one-way street. I will help others, but I don't want them to help me. Or it's the other way around. We don't want to help others, but we want help from other individuals. It is a two-way place. We help others and minister to them in the name of Christ, and we let others do the same for us. When we do that, we have encouragement. I remember several, several times when I had vehicle problems out in the middle of nowhere, and people stopped and helped me. 
Sometimes I was just stuck in a snowdrift. People helped shovel me out. Or a group of men just come and helped and pushed me out. Or even people hooked up my vehicle to their four-wheel drive truck and pulled me along so I could get going. And each time I ask them, do I owe you anything? Yes, you can help me by helping the next person who's in the same position. And that's so true, we must help other people with the same help that, have, that has been given to us, we must minister to others. God uses others to bring comforts in many ways, and we can be a vessel to do this if we allow God to work through us as Paul did. And he allowed God to work through him. And that's what our prayer needs to be. Now we come to the third principle of joy in the midst of conflict comes, number three, when people repent, verses 8 through 13. Joy in the midst of conflict comes, number three, when people repent, verses 8 through 13. Let me read those verses for you one more time. Even if I caused you, so, caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness with eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it is not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the, in, or of the injured party, but rather that God, that before God, you could see, yourself, see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. By all this, we are encouraged. In the first letter Paul wrote to the church here at Corinth, he addressed the many issues which included division within the body, sexual immorality, lawsuits among believers, expelling an immoral brother, food sacrificed to idols, misuse of spiritual gifts, worship practices, and controversy, controversy concerning Jesus' resurrection to mention just a few of the problems that this church was facing. The Corinthian church was riddled with problems, difficulties, and complications, as well as conflict, as well as conflict. However, Paul was excited because he learned that although this, through his first letter, was very harsh to them, they turned around and they repented. In one way, he felt terrible because he had to cause them pain in order for this to happen. And in another way, he was pleased because it caused them sorrow, which led to repentance. 
So what does it mean to repent? According to Lexham's Bible Dictionary, this is what it says. Repentance is a change of attitude and action from sin towards obedience to God. The concept of repentance differs slightly in the Hebrew and the Greek minds, but an emphasis upon right behavior is consistent throughout. Close quote. In the Hebrew, to repent means to return. It means to change direction and go the opposite way. In the Greek, it means to have a complete change of thinking. Our thinking changes. The Corinthian church changed their minds and hearts, so they encouraged Titus and looked forward to seeing Paul again. They had a change of heart. Both Paul and the Corinthian believers experienced joy in the midst of conflict when the people repented. Now we come to the fourth principle of joy in the midst of conflict. Comes when we are obedient. Joy in the midst of conflict comes when we are obedient. Verses 13b through 16. Let me read those verses for you. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirits has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. In the last verses, Paul focuses on the encouragement he and his team received from Titus with the good report that Titus had given to them. They were encouraged. They were excited. When they thought all was lost and things were going horrible, they found great relief knowing that the church was on the right, right road. This report included all the good things that were taking place and the lives of obedience that they were living. That made all the difference to Paul and his companions. Over the years, I have become convinced of two things. First, one of the hardest and most difficult things to do is to remain obedient to Christ. It's a decision every day. It's a decision to walk when we get up in the morning, we just don't get out of bed and wander around just thinking God's going to do everything. We pray and ask God's guidance, and we tell God, God, help me today as I walk. May I be obedient and sensitive to you. Second, most trouble we face find ourselves in disobeying the Lord. Isn't that the truth? When we're not walking close with Him. And sometimes we don't even know we're not disobeying the Lord because we haven't been praying or we haven't been close to God. And therefore, we just wander around once again, thinking that the things we're doing 
are okay. I close with this story. Over the years, Cheryl and I have attended marriage conferences, and we have put on marriage conferences in our former churches. They're an exciting time. We get a guest speaker, we go to a motel, we have rooms that are rented for people, they come out. Matter of fact, we would put, we would um, uh, go into, or pardon me, the one fellow that we had that was our speaker, he told us, I will speak on marriage, but I want you to go into every room. And one of the things that they did was they, what we would do with a group of others, we would go into the rooms and we would put a big bowl around the TV and there was no TV allowed. In other words, this was a time for your husband and wife and to talk about things. And then we would have sessions. It was always exciting. We were always encouraged. We've been to a number of these seminars ourselves. We have put them on also and encouraging. Well, the interesting thing is Cheryl and I, we attended another one this past week. And it was exciting. It was very, very encouraging. And I just want to share with you about some of the things. The interesting thing is on Friday night, there are two sessions. On, Wednesday, on Saturday morning, there are two sessions to attend. When, on, on Saturday uh, in the afternoon, two sessions. And then that sa- Saturday is date night, and you get to do some things with your spouse. Exciting time. Then on Sunday, it's another two sessions in the morning. We went through all of them. We're encouraged. We had two speakers who um, came and spoke. These two individuals, Neil and Cheryl Jefferson and Sheldon and Valerie Dean were their names. Two couples, one in their 40s, one in their 60s. Excellent speakers, encouraging. At the end, I had spoken with him. I had said to him, I'd be interested in doing some things in um, Winkler here and wondering if something could be set up. And he says, well, we do some of those things. And um, when I said Winkler, he said, I'm meeting with another pastor on Tuesday. I'm driving out. Would you like to come and we can talk together? And I said, certainly. And then we had a discussion. We met here and the other pastor was Mark Swatsky. And so we talked, but he told us this story and this is the story I want to close with. He said this, He says, when we closed on Sunday, I had a lady who came up to us, and this is what she said, I want to let you know, you saved our marriage. He says, what do you mean like about this? You saved, we saved your marriage. He said, we had come here basically for the last time, and we were going to be getting a divorce. And then she said, we were ready to pack our bags already on Saturday afternoon. But I said to my husband, she said, I will not leave here. We cannot leave. We paid for it. We might as well just go to the end. And at the end, that's where they have to write their love letter to each other. And they wrote their love letter to each other. And their lives were changed because they realized the love that was still there. And they apologized to each other through that love letter. All is not perfect, but they decided divorce is not the answer. And how wonderful that is, 
to think when conflict in the marriage rises that sometimes we can just say, we're going to go our own way. This is too much for me to bear. And we must remember this, that God wants to work through each of us. There will always be conflict in every level of our lives. There'll be conflict when we get married. There'll be conflict with our children. There'll be conflict at the job we work. There'll be conflict in the church we attend. There'll be conflict with our neighbors. There will be conflict everywhere. And it's what we're going to do with it, whether it's going to press us closer to Jesus or it's going to repel us because we make a choice and say to God, I can't go any farther in this conflict, whatever the conflict is. Like Paul, in the midst of conflict, he found joy because he did not look at the circumstances, but he looked at what God was doing and he could see that God was working out all things for his glory and for his good. And we can do the same in the midst, no matter what the conflict and the hardship will be, God is in the middle and he's working for us on our behalf. Let's sing together number 581, I am thine, O Lord. We'll sing the first three verses and then the benediction. Please stand with us.
So one more encouragement before we leave. I encourage you not to leave, but to stay behind as Pastor Jacob will come and share about the Word and how we can get into it. The most important thing that we can do is first go to the Lord in prayer and go to the Lord in reading the Scriptures, and He will encourage us. And this is a great place for all of us to start, and I know many of you have been doing it. The second place is to get encouragement from others who are believers who will encourage you when you go through the hardships and when there is conflict in your lives. So I encourage you to stay behind. We'll shake hands um, at the back of the church and on the sides, um, uh, but if you're gonna stay, stay in your seats, and anybody who has to leave, we still want to greet you, and then of course, Pastor Jacob will come and he will um, share. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we pause before you to give you thanks for how great and awesome you are. Lord, that you meet us in all of our troubles and that when we walk close to you, we can hear your voice and we are sensitive when you speak. And Lord, we know that you speak primary through your word, that you do, you speak loud and clear, and not only through your word, but you will speak as we pray, and you will speak as we listen to hymns and other songs, you will speak to us even through other believers as they will come and bring encouragement to us. But we pray, Father, that the primary way would we would be listening to your voice through your word. You have much to teach us even during the Sunday school hour, and I pray that you would bless our time with Jacob as he will speak to us. And then, Heavenly Father, we would ask that you would give us strength each step of the way, that you will walk with us through our trials and in our good times, and that we'll keep our focus on Jesus Christ. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forever. Amen. Thank you.